from Radio Studio A, it's Talking Salford. Yes, we are back and ready to go with Series 2 of the official University of Salford podcast. That brings back some of our interesting and industry-leading alumni back to Salford to share their stories with us. And so for this series, we're really stepping up a notch with episodes that will be crammed full of really interesting people and some amazing conversations. We're here in Radio Studio A on our Media City campus, which will be our base for the series. But over the last few months, we've been busy preparing to take our operations into other new locations and showcase our wonderful campuses over the coming months. So let's kick things off. And we are really starting with a bang this year with a guest who's reached the very top of her field and who has graced us with her presence from across the pond today. A big welcome to Jeanette Gamble. Great to be here. Thank you so much for being with us today, Jeanette. So her story starts in the town of Enniskillen in Northern Ireland, where she grew up during the Troubles before doing an exchange programme just north of Toronto in Canada that opened her eyes to a career overseas. Jeanette decided to apply to Salford, electing to do a degree in business information systems here from 1997 to 2000, as she pursued a career in technology. It was from here that she then headed down to London, where she started off as a pre-trainee at Morgan Stanley. Now, after 23 years at the firm, in which she has had stints overseas in Hong Kong and Tokyo, she is now a managing director at the firm, heading up data and analytics and infrastructure technology services. Jeanette is also on the executive board of directors for the non-profit organisation Girls Who Code, in May last year, was named Salford Business School's first honorary international industry fellow, and in the last few months was named the university's alumni achievement, alumni lifetime achievement award winner. So, Jeanette, um, God, that was that's a lot of achievements, I guess, over the last few years and going back further. Uh, first of all, welcome back to Salford. I know you've been in, over here in the UK for the last few days. So, how has it been this week? I mean, it's been pretty amazing. I uh, took a red eye and realized that, given my age, red eyes are just not a fun thing to do anymore. Um, so after four hours of sleep, I hit Edinburgh. Um, I was in Glasgow for two days, which was really exciting. We have a new office up there. Mm -hmm. um, it was really buzzing with young technologists, which was really good. And I did a lot of sessions up there. Um, and then took the train down, which was lovely, to Manchester. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've been here for two days. So, I mean, it's really overwhelming being back. I haven't been back here since uh, probably September 2000. <laughs> What's been the overwhelming feeling, I guess, about coming back? I mean, I think just especially being at the awards ceremony um, and just being around a lot of the people at the university, um, seeing some of the other alumni and having some of my alumni come into Manchester, um, I think it really makes you grateful and humble for being back here. Like, I think the one thing that I remembered was the fact that I can remember that my first ever bank account was HSBC at Salford Crescent. <laughs> just like, so and I was thinking about that last night um, in terms of how big HSBC are now. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think just a lot of nostalgia, um, thinking about all of the things and the shenanigans we got up to when I lived here. You're over in Media City today, and this is the first time that obviously that you've been to Media City. Uh, You've been to see a little bit of our campus um, whilst you've been here. What, what's been your initial impressions? 
I mean, it's mind blowing. It is not like how it was when I was here in 2000, you know, just walking into Media City and seeing, you know, ITV and BBC and all of the media companies that surround um, the Salford um, unit and also mm -hmm. just walking onto the floors and seeing the level of technology that these students have to work with. You know, we were fighting over maybe five computers in a computer room, um, you know, back then, um, you know, just figuring out some of the software that we could potentially use. And so, yeah, I mean, when you see the rate at which technology has changed since I was at school, um, it's pretty mind blowing. Do you get to go back home as often as you'd like over the last 17 years since you've moved out to the States? It's the one thing. So, you know, we obviously have an office in London. Mm -hmm. um, and so before COVID, you know, I would I'm I'm obsessed, you know, I'm obsessed with my family. And so, um, you know, my mom, and my brother and sister and everybody live there still. Mm -hmm. A lot of my friends, you know, didn't go to university who went to high school with me. And so a lot of them are still there back in, you know, Lisbalaw and in Iskillen. Um, so it's nice. It's nice to get home. So probably, you know, sometimes I would go home three times a year or two times a year. Okay. And do your family come up to see you quite a lot in the States? You know, literally, I'm the only person in my entire family that went to university okay. and, you know, the only person who left. And so they are not fans of planes. <laughs> and so um, I think I managed to get my parents. They came to my graduation, which was epic. Yeah. Um, but they came on a boat. Um, and then they came to London when I got promoted. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the only time they've ever been on an airplane. So, so yeah, they haven't been to the States, which is why I go home so often. Uh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, I feel, let's start then. So you, look, you grew up in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. It's quite a really difficult time for the country in the area. Um, how did that upbringing have an impact on your career now? I mean, it definitely gave you resilience and grit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think growing up, I think it was the good thing about how I was and how I became is that I definitely had a strong personality. And I think that definitely came from my mom. Um, you know, there was a huge amount of focus on religion, Protestant, Catholic, mm -hmm. when I was growing up. And so, you know, being in a room and having someone ask what town you were from or what your surname was, they weren't asking because they actually wanted to know where you lived. It was where you lived indicated what religion you were, and that would give them an indication of whether you were Protestant or Catholic. And so coming to Manchester and not having anybody ask me that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it felt so liberating to just be around people and to make friends where nobody cared, you know? And so I think that was one of the first things that hit me when I arrived in Manchester. That being said, like the year that I arrived in Manchester, um, you know, the bombing had just happened yep. at the Arndale Shopping Centre. And so I had a really thick Northern Irish accent. Mm. Um, you know, and whilst there was definitely a pretty big Irish community, like friends of mine had owned O'Shea's pub in Manchester, um, you know, there was definitely a lot of tension and people okay. were, you know, definitely extremely stressed about what had happened, rightly so. And so... Um, you know, I was saying yesterday in my speech, you know, that combined with the fact that I talked at 100 miles an hour and nobody could understand me, my accent really changed. Mm -hmm. And so, um, which really embarrassed my parents. And so I ended up having this weird 
slowed down English version of my accent, <laughs> which um, which was really funny for my family at home. But but yeah. And I can tell from your accent now, there's a little bit of inflections of of the US in there as well. Are you conscious about how your accent has changed over the last 20 years or so? I mean, not at all. Um, you know, I love the fact that when I'm in Northern Ireland, I completely sound like I've never left. Um, you know, I definitely catch myself sometimes. And, you know, sometimes when I hear my daughter say things, I just want to pack up and move and come back to the UK. <laughs> <So> <laughs> she says, like, when she says water, can I have some water? Um, but it's really funny because when she comes to the UK and she's in London, all mm. of a sudden she has this, like, you know, Peppa Pig British accent, <laughs> which is really funny. So it's uh, it's one of the reasons my husband wants to move here because he wants her to have a little British accent. So, so yeah. <laughs> that's, that's lovely. Uh, so let, let's talk about the Canada opportunity then because that, that obviously had a massive impact then for you in terms of the direction you then embarked on in your teenage years. I mean, it was huge on so many levels because, I mean, at the time there'd been a school bombing um, and my cousin had been um, blown up in a school bus um, mm. and she was only one one of the, the kids who survived it. And so there was definitely a lot of tension in our family. Yeah. Um, and so I was kind of rebellious and definitely believed in the fact that just because there was one extreme organization that did something doesn't mean you have to you know, completely isolate yourself from a whole group of people. Mm. And so I secretly applied for this award. And it's basically where they put three Protestants and three Catholics together and sent them off to Canada to work okay. at an underprivileged kids camp. And with the goal that we would become best friends over the summer, we would come back and our friends would interact with each other. And so it was it was a really beautiful thing. Um, I think in Ireland at the time, there was just you know, there was a lot of shenanigans going on mm. in terms of the club scene and in terms of, um, you know, kids being probably a bit wild. And so Monday to Friday, I was really studious, but I definitely had a wild side on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Mm -hmm. And so I think getting myself out of that environment and going to Canada kind of took me away from that and helped me realize that, you know, whilst I loved where I come from and I love Northern Ireland and I love where I was born. I knew that if I stayed there that it was not going to be a positive thing. So so yeah, you know, I definitely was really eager to come um, and do university outside of Northern Ireland, which is one of the reasons I applied to Salford. How did your family and friends feel about the Canada trip at the time? I mean, they definitely... The, my father and I had a lot of talks about it. Mm. You know, he was part time in the RUC and had witnessed, you know, a lot of bloodshed, um, you know, and, and had impacted multiple people in our family. Um, you know, an amazing, intelligent man who, you know, taught me so much and, you know, definitely was interested in having the dialogue. And mm. it took a long time for me and my brother to kind of change his mindset in terms of it's okay for me to hang out with someone that's in the Catholic school and it's okay for me to be seen with someone in the uniform that's not from my school. Yeah. But it's like when you think about, you know, thinking about the, my daughter potentially having to go through that, you know, that just blows my mind. So, um, so yeah, you know, I think it took a good few years, but I think we definitely came to a point where once I got the award, he felt pretty proud and was happy that I'd applied for it. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, 
so you come over to Salford of Manchester here in the late 90s. Uh, this was quite a famed time, I guess, for this area of the Northwest. Um, can you tell me about the experience of finding out that you got in, first of all? I mean, I definitely did not think that I could get into the university. And, you know, I really did not have a lot of confidence. You know, even when I would get the best grades in school, there was something inside of me that didn't feel that I was good enough or didn't feel like I was going to get it. And I remember the envelope came and it was just, I don't know why, but I just needed to be at this university. You know, I'd applied to other universities, but there was something about you know, the prospect of, at the time, there was rumors that the business school and the technology department were going to merge, mm -hmm. um, that there was going to be industry leaders teaching you. It wasn't just going to be standing in front of someone that had a textbook. And there was something about when I read what the degree was like, it kind of made me really, really excited. And so I put all my eggs in one basket and I felt like if I didn't get Salford, I was just going to be really devastated. And so the letter came and everybody just wanted me to rip it open. And mm. so I literally took the envelope and, and death stared everybody and walked out of my house. And I walked up the town and where the the uh, the garbage or the rubbish collection is, is like a big skip. Mm -hmm. There was a tree house there. And I remember just like climbing up into this tree house and just sitting, staring at this letter. Probably it felt like for hours, but it was probably seconds. And then I opened it and I just cried. Like I was so overwhelmed that I'd got into the university. Um, and I just sat there probably for about an hour, um, you know, just feeling so lucky and so grateful that I'd got the opportunity to come here. If everyone was so keen for you to open this letter, were they hoping that you did get in or was there a, a willingness to try and keep you in the country? I think at the time, given I mean, I was a bit of a handful, so I think they were excited. <laughs> I definitely think they were <laughs> excited that, you know, that I was, they knew that I really wanted it. And yeah. so I think my mom and dad, you know, were really sad. It was really funny. Like I had sat them down when I told them I was going to Manchester and a lot of stuff had happened in the in the years that had kind of, you know, made, made me angry or made me act in a way that I shouldn't have acted. Mm. And so... I ended up just opening up to them and telling them everything that had happened and literally just being like, here's my diary for the past three years. And it was just one of those moments where everybody was crying. And uh, and I think they were, you know, as sad as they were, they were super proud that someone in our family had got into university. <laughs> it's a lovely memory, I think that is. Um, so what was it like being a student here at Salford? I mean, the first year was really hard. Mm. I think one of the things that high school does not prepare you for is understanding how to manage your own finances. And coming from a background where we didn't have a lot of money, I was definitely a hustler. Like I was the kid trading Barbie dolls where I knew the value of each Barbie doll. Mm. Um, you know, and so I had the part-time job in my uncle's chip shop and I was babysitting. So I had my Henry Hippo account. Um, and so I definitely saved a lot. But when I came to university, um, everybody was going out and people were partying and all the kids had fancy clothes and mm. I hadn't came from that upbringing. So I ended up getting in the first year into a lot of debt and it was really stressful. Mm. Um, and so it, which is really funny because some of the apps that the girls who code kids designed this year were all around mental health and finances. Interesting. Um, and so... I mentioned HSBC when we were talking earlier mm. because I opened my first ever 
HSBC bank account and you give kids, young kids, these credit cards and debit cards and it kind of when they haven't been taught about how to manage their finances and pay rent and, you know, be able to feed themselves and when they've been living at home. Um, you know, it can go either way. Mm. And so in the first year, I ended up getting into a lot of debt. And I remember it got to a point where I was getting so many fines and so many fees and felt so much anxiety that I walked into the HSBC at Salford Crescent at the university and I just started to cry. Oh. And I just said, I don't know how to manage my own money. I've got myself into this really bad place. Yeah. And I remember the person just putting their hand on my hand and there was they were like we're going to fix this together and i i was working you know i had i was at university but i was paying my own way through um university and so they basically said to me look you have enough money coming in you need to rein back the spending and they gave me a payment plan and they said if you can pay all of you know this back and get from being overdrawn i think it was within 6 months we're going to give you all your the fees back we charged you mm-hmm which was just so amazing. And honestly, it's one of the reasons why I've never closed my HSBC account. Like when something happens, it's all about brand loyalty. And the fact that they did something like that and they helped me out of that hole and taught me how to manage my finances. I mean, I would never walk away from them as a company. I I think that's, that's a nice touching thing to think about just as you say, you had no experience of dealing with finances. I think a lot of students really struggle with that still to this day about giving that responsibility yeah. with the bursaries that students get. It's a tricky thing to manage at that age, particularly. Um, what? How did you find the course? What were the key memories from it? Um, so I definitely struggled in the first year. Um, the the campus um, had not merged yet, and mm-hmm. so I was in the other facility. I hadn't it hadn't merged with the business school yet. And so it was very much so my course was having someone stand at the front of a room with a textbook, just reading it. And it just wasn't that way of teaching just didn't appeal to me at all. Uh And so I wasn't doing well in the first year. Um, And then I met Frances Bell, who worked at the university, um, who was amazing. Um, You know, and I kind of sat down with her. She had assured me that in the second year we were going to be merging with the business school and you know really helped me with resources and you know mentoring um which honestly changed everything and then in year two it merged with the business school and then all of a sudden that was when i hit go and that was when it everything clicked and there was teachers coming in or there was you know faculty people who had been in the industry. There was people coming in from KPMG. There was, you know, the police were coming in to talk about computer security and auditing and just that type of teaching where it's coming from someone who has done it and has walked it and has worked in a career in it. That was what appealed to me. And after that, you know, I was obsessed. Like I went from, you know, probably going out way too much in Manchester to being really studious and thinking, mm-hmm. okay, I want to nail this degree. And I just woke up in the morning actually getting out of bed really early to get onto campus because I was excited about how my day was going to be. So you excelled here once you got, as you say, you got into your second year and then you headed down to the capital and two very interesting opportunities came up for you. So let, let's talk about this then, um, about what happened I mean, if you want to kind of say it's, it was it was either MTV or Morgan Stanley. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I ended up, I went to a recruitment fair in Manchester mm. and I had no idea where I was going to work or what I was going to do. You know, I'd done a pretty theoretical degree 
not much hands-on, you know, computers at all. Um, and so I knew I loved problem solving. And so I went to this career fair and really I went up to stands where I saw people that kind of looked like me and had the same energy as me. And so I remember going to the Morgan Stanley stand and there was this um, woman called Ricky Hansen and she was so bubbly and so full of energy. And I said, oh, what company is this? And she said, Morgan Stanley. And I said, what's Morgan Stanley? Mm. Um, and she said, oh, it's an investment bank. And I said, what's an investment bank? And she was like, you know, you don't need to know any of that stuff. Um, you know, we're just we're looking for people to do business analytics. Um, and so if you give me your resume, I'll put it forward. Um, and then I went around the corner and I saw MTV. And for anybody growing up in the 90s, mm -hmm. I mean, MTV was huge. And so they were also, they also had a technical training program. Um, and again, I just bonded with the person on the stand and gave them a resume. Um, so kind of cut to probably four months later, I was starting to get offer letters to come for assessment centers. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of them were in London. And so I was trying to coordinate them to be at the same time to avoid going back and forth. And so literally on the Wednesday, it was Morgan Stanley. And on the Thursday, it was um, MTV. Um, and so the Morgan Stanley Assessment Center was so intense. Um, it was, you know, you walk in, you were doing assessment centers, you were doing mathematical tests, you were doing problem solving tests. Going from that and then walking into MTV's doors, which was literally, you know, everybody was dressed in like jeans and t-shirt mm. and I'm like in this little suit. Um, and they're on the floor, they make you watch an MTV tech video and then they do Twister um, <laughs> to ask you questions and then you have to spin the Twister reel. Oh no. I mean, it was so far from Morgan Stanley. And so I ended up getting offers from both and mm -hmm. get, I got brought back into both. and. Um, MTV was first and so in the final interview it was one of the heads of tech for MTV mm -hmm. and he looked at me and he said where else do you have offers and I said okay so I, I'm going to be honest with you I have an offer from Morgan Stanley and he just shut mm -hmm. his book oh. and he said okay he was like what I'm going to say to you is you're going to pick Morgan Stanley because let's be honest it's an amazing company and he said and in 10 years you're going to work really hard you're going to be pretty exhausted and then you're gonna come work for MTV. And he handed me his business card and he said, when you're ready, come and work for MTV. So it was pretty awesome. And I kept in touch with him for a long time, but you know, I'm going into 24 years at Morgan Stanley. Mm. So needless to say, I didn't, I didn't ever take him up on his offer. Do you ever look back and think what would have happened if you had picked MTV? I don't, you know, I never, I'm a firm believer in never having regrets. Mm -hmm. And I've done some things in my life that you know, maybe weren't the best things, maybe weren't the right things, but I feel like every time I did one of them, it changed my path to lead me right here to this moment. And it made me the person that I am today. And some of it was definitely hard going through it. Um, but I really do believe that all of the mistakes that I made or all of the silly things that I did turned me into the woman that I am today. And I feel really grateful for, you know, all of those things. How was um, past Jeanette feeling about that decision to join Morgan Stanley? Um, you mean child, like kid Jeanette? I mean, were you, you at the time when you when you started working at Morgan Stanley, how were you feeling? I mean, I was like a kid in a sweet shop um, yeah. because, you know, when you go from, you know, my dad and mum both had multiple jobs. Like mm -hmm. my mum was a chef. She worked part time in the police and she was a mom. And I said this in my speech yesterday. And my dad was an electrician, a farmer 
and a dad. Um, I mean, I have a job and one kid and I feel like overwhelmed sometimes. And it's like looking back on that, I remember when I had my daughter, I just called my mom like every other day and just thanked her because <laughs> I finally got it. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things that I feel really lucky for um, is that no matter how long I've worked in Morgan Stanley, there's little things that I get. I get excited about everything and mm. I feel so grateful for everything. I think some people, you know, who work in big companies, they start, you know, expecting things and taking things for granted. And I think not, not many of my friends went into a corporate job, um, you know, and none of my family are in corporate. So I feel pretty grounded with those people. But I remember my first day um, at Morgan Stanley, I'd had to have a surgery that I couldn't put off on the Friday. And I was starting Morgan Stanley on the Monday and they'd given me my diet and I panicked because I felt so insecure that how could they have offered me this job? And, you know, I was worried that if I told them I had a surgery and needed to delay my start date, that they would realize that they'd made a mistake, that they'd accidentally picked my name. And so I went in bandaged on the Monday morning in so much pain because mm. I was so scared that they were going to take my offer away and just like soldiered through. And I remember the guy that sat in front of me, He, I said, oh, is there a stationary cupboard? I mean, I was more excited about the stationary cupboard than, I mean, most people at the firm. It was this gigantic cupboard with every pen that you could ever think of. And so I come back to my desk, literally like supermarket sweep <laughs> with like all of this stationery. And he looks at me and he's like, you know, you can go to the stationery cupboard anytime you want. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. So, I mean, even now, I uh, I feel really lucky that I get to work there and walk in their doors. So, I guess the big question is, when did New York become an opportunity for you? So, um, I'd been working in a role, um, you know, kind of dealing with when really bad incidents happen um, for the finance department. Um, and I'd been running web web design and web services um, in London in a global team and I had trainees so I would just pay myself to go to New York and sleep on my trainees um, sofas just yeah. so I could work in the New York office because it was pretty epic um, and me and Melina had you know done trips during Salford to mm -hmm. New York um, because it was a place that we loved um, and so I remember being at the tea point and I used to just talk to everybody. I always thought that when I didn't know someone, it was really important to introduce myself even back then. And I was only mm -hmm. 21, 22. Yeah. Um, and I meet this man, Nick Clayton, at a tea point and tell him what I do and say, yeah, you know, I, I just came back from the New York office. I would love to work there one day. And literally, probably two months later, he sends me an email and asks to talk to me. And they were setting up this new, it was called the Enterprise Command Center, which, first of all, I was really excited because it sounded like Star Trek. And Absolutely. I, my dad and I are, were obsessed by Star Trek growing mm. up. Um, and it was basically the firm's first ever crisis management center for technology events where when really bad things happen, you know, whether it's a hurricane that takes out our infrastructure or we lose power in a data center or we just, you know, have a major incident where we lose, you know, a server and applications are impacted. This team swoops in and does like really fast SWAT on it to fix it really quickly and save the firm money. So he asked me if I was interested in moving to mm -hmm. New York 
And so I played coy and was like, oh, I don't know, I need to think about it. But inside, I was just like having a heart attack. And um, so a couple of weeks later, I accepted. Um, And then probably within three months, I literally lifted and shifted my life and just moved to New York. So let's talk about life in the Big Apple then, because you've been out there for a while now. What, What are some of the key lessons that you've learned from moving out there? I mean, it can really eat you up if you don't compartmentalize it. You know, it's a big city. It moves really fast. And it's true. It never sleeps. Um, You know, everybody's pretty intense over there. But I think one of the things that I love, I remember um, before I made vice um, vice president at the company, um, someone pulled me aside and said, this was in London, said, you know, perception is really important. And if you ever want to make VP, you need to stop high-fiving people. (laughs) (laughs) And so, I mean, I was just like, what are you talking about? And I moved to New York. And I mean, it's all about the high fives over there. And so I remember when I made VP and I literally went around the floor just high fiving everybody because I was just so excited that I got promoted. So I think Mm. it just it really fit there compared to um, at times how I felt in London I kind of overwhelm people a little bit in our London office. So, um, so yeah, so, it, you know, it's been an amazing experience, even just doing the training program in New mm. York um, and having all of the alumni from my training program and, you know, then them going back to their own countries and keeping in touch with them. It was just an awesome experience. Do you think you've stayed true to who you are as a person when you've gone over to New York? Because you say you've had very different experiences from the offices uh, from both in London and in New York. But do you think you're the, the same, Jeanette? You haven't changed dramatically in any way. You've kept the same kind of way that you interact in the way you learn and teach other people. Yeah, I mean, it, I definitely have. And at times that didn't go down well with people. And mm. I feel like I've really tried to stay true to myself in terms of how I operate and what I do. Because, you know, there's times when you're overwhelming Um, You know, and I I said this in the Glasgow office, you know, making managing director so young at Morgan Stanley um, was just amazing for me. And I was so happy that my dad got to see it before he passed away, Um, you know, and there was a point because I just did so much like it was, Mm. you know, I had my job, but I was doing all of these extracurricular things and helping kids and doing campus things. And there was kind of an undertone with some people of oh, she's only doing that because she wants to make managing director. And it was just such a beautiful thing when I made managing director that all that noise just went away Mm. and I could just do the things that I wanted to do because I actually wanted to do them. Um, And so, so yeah, I definitely developed a pretty thick skin to shut out the haters Mm. um, and just be myself and, you know, kind of be the way I wanted to be, um, even if it overwhelmed people. I think New York has a reputation for being quite a competitive working environment. And how have you kind of, I mean, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but how have you like managed to navigate around that? And you said you've been quite true to yourself, but was it really eye-opening? Were you warned beforehand or is it just something which you've just learned to deal with? I mean, the person I've become because of Morgan Stanley is pretty overwhelming. You become a multitasking machine and so um, you know I think when I look at my life you know I remember my dad went into hospital and you know he had different things that was wrong with him and you know in Northern Ireland like you don't talk back to a doctor like if the doctor tells you to like eat a truck full of 
you know, crabs. You're like, okay, well, the doctor <laughs> told me to do it. So I guess, you know, it's like my mom and dad would refuse to question anything. Um, and so then this kind of girl who has a half American accent just busts into the hospital. Um, you know, and it was at a point, like it was in 2000 and. Um, eight mm. um, and he'd had his first heart attack and he really wasn't well and it was one of those points where we were like I don't think he's going to make it mm. and so I remember going to all his different doctors and telling them that I needed them to be in a room at a certain time um, to discuss my father's treatment and they were all like who is this person um, but I think they came just for the novelty of like wanting to see what I had to say and it was like I made them do this post-mortem on my dad's care like what medication he was getting, like which medication. And they ended up finding out that one of the medications um, that he had for his heart was conflicting with his diabetes medication. And they changed it. And this guy, honestly, it was like, you know, he believed that it was because the minister came that he'd made this miraculous recovery. But, um, you know, he literally went from us thinking he was going to pass away to just being this like vibrant up drinking coffee and like nothing had happened. Yeah. And if I really believe the things that I learned in Morgan Stanley in terms of how to negotiate and how to deal with difficult situations and how to, you know, speak to people in a way that gets them to consensus all comes from Morgan Stanley. Um, I definitely was a workaholic and I think people at one point were definitely concerned um, because I just lived and breathed like I was like a stereotypical Morgan Stanley zealot like Mm. honestly I'd just wear a t-shirt and drink the Kool-Aid and you know I think meeting my husband um, honestly was just a game changer I mean we met and we literally instantly fell in love and I was like I'm gonna marry this guy um, and it was pretty late on. It was when I was 30, um, you know, 34. Mm. And within a year, I was pregnant with Amelia. And everybody was so shocked. I don't think anybody thought I was ever going to have a kid. And I remember just throwing my Blackberry at the time into a drawer when she was born. And people were so freaked out that some of my team would, like, n- come to my apartment in New York with, like, coffee and croissants. Just, they were like you didn't respond to our message. Like they were so freaked out because I I was always instantly contactable. Mm. And I think having Amelia was game changing for me because A, I didn't understand what other women go through when they have a child and then they come back to the workforce and how crazy that can be. Um, But I think B, you know, it helped me realize that if I don't pick up my phone and I don't instantly answer something and I let my team step up and just they're going to figure it out Mm -hmm. and I didn't need to be it was like I'd convinced myself that the world would fall apart if I didn't answer that email so I think that moment really changed everything and it really changed the way I operated it changed the way I managed my team Mm -hmm. so so yeah I think I definitely going to New York went to one extreme and then I I pulled myself back I I think you what you spoke about there is a thing what so many people particularly managerial positions get to um, where they are so dedicated to the job that being able to take that step back, being able to trust in other people to to pick things up is, is really difficult if, if all you're used to is, well, no, I need, I need to kind of oversee everything. I need to know everything. I need to be copied in on everything. Yeah. Um, but it's really eye-opening that at that, that point in your life was really eye-opening to kind of rein that back in and, and let others kind of carry the fort, really. Um, so talk to me about Girls Who Code. So this is an organization that was set up to close the gender gap in tech uh, and importantly encourage girls to consider a career in coding. So why did you get involved in this? 
So I was always really passionate about getting more kids into technology. And before, you know, I made executive director, I was all about campus. I was the team captain for Duke University and Carnegie Mellon University, anything to do with kids, mm -hmm. I was in it. And then I remember someone pulled me aside pretty senior and said, you know, you do a lot for kids, but you're, I don't see you doing any women in technology things. I don't see you doing anything just for girls. Why is that? And I remember being really direct and honest with him. And, and I basically said, look, I don't want to be in a room you know, just focusing on one gender yeah. where everybody's just like, woe is me as a woman. And he got so angry with me and he said, just because you feel comfortable and you kind of have the personality that can deal with being the only woman in a room, not everybody has that. And so, you know, the fact that you could be in that room with the other women giving them support. He was like, don't you want to do that? And he was like, and if you don't like the conversation in the room, change the conversation. And it really hit me. And then mm. I went on steroids with everything to do with women in tech and getting more girls into tech. Um, you know, and I just had Amelia and um, someone had reached out to me um, on LinkedIn. Her name was Claudia Chan. Um, and she run, runs one of the biggest women's conferences in New York. It's called the She Summit. Okay. Um, and she'd invited me there. And I was on maternity leave. And... I basically went to the sessions um, and she introduced me to Reshma Sanjani, um, who was the CEO of Girls Who Code. Okay. And so I started talking to her and I said, why is Morgan Stanley not involved in this? And she looked at me and she said, that's a good question. And so I remember reaching out to Goldman Sachs and saying to them, you know, you obviously do Girls Who Code. Can you give me all the information and why it's beneficial and why it's helped you so that we can you know, convince people in Morgan Stanley that it's a good thing to do. And I was just blown away. Like the people at Goldman met with us, gave us so much data, um, and we ended up going back and pitching it and saying, you know, forget about that. This, this is about breaking down any form of competition between companies and just getting more girls into tech. Um, and when you think about the number, the numbers are staggering. You know, there's only 24% of women hold technology jobs in the world, and only 5% of those are black women. Um, and so understanding, and you know, they are so passionate, and they're such a beautiful nonprofit. Um, you know, really, when it's kind of unnerving when I first met them because it's rare that you find people who are so genuine and nice. You kind of always think. What's their angle? Um, but they genuinely are a company that are every single person is just dedicated to helping girls and non-binary students and breaking down barriers and working with companies. And all of the people on the board are probably the nicest people that you could work with. So, I mean, it's a lot of fun. It started mm -hmm. off as just us sponsoring Girls Who Code and me running their summer immersion programs and, you know, helping girls with resume reviews to really us becoming one of their biggest sponsors and, you know, sitting on the board, which is such an honor, um, you know, and, and thinking about how we can help the next generation of girls coming up. What do you think universities can do more in this space to help encourage girls to consider a career in coding and technology? I mean, getting more people like me to come on campus because mm -hmm. it's funny, you know, we go through the summer immersion programs and I talk to the girls at the end um, they don't realize all of the different jobs that there are. They just mm -hmm. assume that if you get if you're going to get into tech, 
you're going to be this coder who sits in a corner developing code all day, and that doesn't appeal to everybody. Um, there are, you know, hundreds of women in Morgan Stanley who love that role, but there are also a lot of women who don't want that role, and they want to, you know, develop apps, or they want to be in digital marketing, or, you know, they want to do website design, or, you know, whatever flavor it is, but not just this, I'm just going to sit and write code every day. You know, I wasn't the best coder. And I recognized that pretty quickly coming into Morgan Stanley, because when you think about the kids that they bring in, they're literally the best in their field. Mm -hmm. And I just said to myself, I'm never going to be the best in this. So I need to pivot. So so yeah, so I think getting people in the industry to come in, um, you know, showcasing all of the jobs that you can get across the industry um, that have a technology component. Um, and also, you know, just helping them understand what those companies and the benefits of those companies and how it can change their life will do for them. Now, related to that, so you're also Salford Business School's first uh, international honors, honorary industry fellow. Again, that's a bit of a mouthful. So. Um, <laughs> Talk to me about what you want to do in this kind of role with students. Yeah, so um, I'm going to be meeting um, with um, Janice this year. I'm really excited about this year. I think one of the things that we potentially, um, you know, would love to kick off, obviously in the field that I'm in, you know, I get to work with all of the companies, um, you know, across the globe from a technology standpoint. And while I specifically can't name them on this mm -hmm. podcast, um, you know, just having some of them you know, doing interviews like this yeah, yeah. Um, with them so that the students can see them having the students ask questions. You know, the network that, you know, you kind of can tap into. You know, most people think that working at Morgan Stanley and, you know, working in technology in Morgan Stanley is just about finance. But we actually have probably a bigger technology budget than most of the biggest technology companies in the world. And so we get to drive huge amounts of roadmap and agenda for those companies. Um, and so I think it would be really exciting to interview some of the people from those companies and have the students see that. I think it'd be really exciting for some of the students to come down to our offices in mm -hmm. Morgan Stanley. Um, and I know you guys do an apprentice program and obviously in London and Morgan Stanley, we're really tapped into apprentices. So seeing how we can partner a bit um, to get some students from Salford into our company. Yeah. Oh, that, that, that sounds all great. So, look, the world of tech in, in 2024 is very different to how it was when, when you were looking to get into it. But what would be your best bit of advice for for anyone, really, that's planning to consider a career in tech? I mean, I think, you know, internships are really important. Mm -hmm. You know, getting some background, getting a mentor, mentor that works in technology, um, spending a day just being in the offices and seeing what it's like. I think, you know, sometimes people can be really intimidated about working in a financial a financial company or working, you know, at one of the, the top technology companies like a Facebook or a Google. Um, but, you know, just going in there and going to their open days and seeing, you know, meeting the people. Because I honestly think, you know, it was really funny when I when I was coming off the training program and I had to pick my job, um, I remember all of these people, you know, there was a group in market data, there was like loads of different areas and this, um, you know, team who didn't have the newest technology, they were actually, they supported the legacy technology yeah. at the time. Um, they asked me to join their team and people were shocked that I wanted to join their team. They're like, why would you pick the technology that's like a legacy? It's gonna go away. Um, 
And I basically said, I was really honest. And I said, because they invited me out to a team event. Mm -hmm. And I really clicked with them. And they made me, they wrapped me in cotton wool and made me feel like I was the best thing ever. And so I think just networking, meeting people that you feel like you connect with. um, Because honestly, you can get a job and there's technology jobs all over the world. But, you know, working in a company where you click with the people is probably the most important thing. Okay. Absolutely. So we're going to round off with some quick fire questions. Okay. Uh, So one sentence answers, if you can, please, Jeanette. So, ooh, coolest piece of technology that you've used in the last year? Um, AI technology. I think ChatGPT is is pretty awesome. What, What is it about it that really appeals to you? I mean, just being able to, it's really powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really, really powerful. And being able to, it's really, in terms of productivity and in terms of, you know, I've used it in my personal life um, from a social media standpoint and from, um, you know, helping my family um, in terms of some of the stuff that my sister has to do with her business. Um, I think it's really powerful um, I don't think it can remove you having to, you know, read it and make sure the context is right. But um, in terms of a productivity standpoint, I think it's a, it's going to be really, really powerful, both for students and for companies. Okay. Best artist that you saw live in Manchester? It was the Beastie Boys. Do you remember where? Um, I don't remember where. Um they came to Manchester and it was the first time they performed with their revolving stage Mm -hmm. and me, myself, um, my best friend Melina and Leah went and I mean it was one of the best the best gigs I've ever been to. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was that back in the 90s as well that would have been peak peak time really for the Beastie Boys. Uh, So best place to spend a weekend New York or London? Oh, that's like choosing between my son and my daughter. Because <laughs> it's going to be like 50% of people in each. I, I'm going to have to say London because I'm in the UK. Uh, you, you don't have to. You don't have to say that. That's absolutely fine. Um, I think many people that are in the UK would love to spend a weekend in New York and vice versa, I think, for those in the States. Um, it, I guess the the question really is, is what's the, what's the best thing to kind of have a really cool weekend in either of those two cities? I mean, I love London because all of my friends and family still live mm. here. And so when I come to London, you know, I love tea and scones um, and I love hanging out at the parks here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love I love shopping in London, you know, I, I and in the UK. Yeah. Um, and I love Marks and Spencers. Um, but in New York, I mean, just waking up on a weekend, there's a big brunch scene People don't really dress up on the weekend, so everybody's just in casual clothes. Central Park is pretty epic, um, so just wandering around with a cup of coffee. Um, and it's always, no matter even if it's freezing, um, it's always blue skies and sun over there. That's lovely. So, um, best thing about living in the States? My husband and my daughter. That's, that, that's a great... I mean, I could definitely see you going that route, yeah. Um, but no, Absolutely family most important thing um and last thing from us today Jeanette can you sell the university to me in a sentence the most amazing people with the biggest hearts and one of the most exciting campuses right now in the UK what a way to end (laughs) Jeanette thank you so much for coming to see us today thank you so much for having me I'd love being here it's been a real pleasure 
And that brings an end to episode one of our new series. So if you love what you've heard today, please do subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we will be in your feeds with more episodes in the near future. Thank you very much. 